Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hi, listeners. I have a very interesting and unusual guest from our usual Primal Blueprint podcast, Primal Paleo type experts. I am talking to the world speed golf champion, Rob Hogan in Galway, Ireland. How are you, Rob? Hiya, Brad. I'm in great form. Great form. I, I was world champion in 2013, so I was second this year, but we're, we're, we're going to take back the title next year. How are you? Uh, the competition is fierce out there. I mean, the, the, uh, <laughs> the top guys are bunched up very closely now to the extent where uh, you know, you miss a single tiny putt, and you can shake your head and realize that that cost you the title because you and Ari Crum, the champ, were less than one stroke apart. Yes, sir. It came down to a tiebreaker, so we were. Um, it was decided on uh, the seconds in the end, so it was close. Uh, Ari's a great champion. Um, I'm just, I'm super motivated myself. It's, it's great to be able to try and take positives and negatives and use them to your advantage. You know. Each of them. Yeah. So, Rob, we met up there at the championships. I participated. I took 20th place, and uh, it was my first time in many, many years competing in this wonderful sport, which I enjoyed back when I was younger. And so yeah. it was nice to get back in the groove, see the top players, and then we got to talking afterwards. Um, and I, you know, I told you that I was into this primal blueprint stuff, and um, we got into some interesting conversation. I said, you know what, we got to get you on the podcast, man, and, and talk about some of this stuff. So here we are, and for our listeners, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the unique sport that you've kind of pioneered here and, and been the leading guy for the last few years and what it's all about, uh, some of your training methods, and then we have that Fanta story, which is mind-blowing, and uh, we're definitely going to get into that. But to set the tone first, um, if you don't know what speed golf is, it's an actual competition where you play the course and you count your strokes just like a golf tournament, but they're also timing you. So you add up the number of minutes you spend on the course and the number of strokes, and that's your total. So, for example, last year, um, you shot in the first round of the two-round championships a 77. This is on a championship course, people, in 39 minutes. So that made Rob's total 116. That's one of the best rounds we've seen in uh, in the world championship level. Um, so when you think about what that is, you're you're trying to cut strokes and minutes, but of course sometimes those those counter each other out. Um, tell us about your strategy and how you got into this amazing sport. Yeah, thanks Brad. It's a sport I fell in love with when I when I first uh, read about it in 2008. Um, I read I read about uh, Jay Larson and Tim Scott and Christopher Smith on the west coast, you know, uh, pioneering pioneering the sport, and it was a, one of those a, a kind of epiphanies. The second I read about it, I knew I, I could I, it would be something I could do. Uh, I put on a couple of exhibitions 
off my off my own bat in Ireland in 2008 and 2009. And then in 2012, I um, found out about the first World Speed Golf Championships um, in Bandon Dunes. And I said, I'm going to have to get to there. Even if I have to swim across the ocean, I'm going to be there. <laughs> so um, that was a fantastic event. It was on, I believe, CB- CBS. CBS. Um, I was the fastest player by a, by a good long margin over the two days. Um but my because of my lack of fitness, I couldn't play good golf at the speed I was going. I couldn't recover. But I, I definitely found in myself that first year competing um, an ability to suffer pain and um, an ability to run fast. And I knew then um, I knew there and then that I could uh, I could compete pretty well at the sport. Um, and I, I came home late 2012 and I said, let's join a running club. Let's increase my fitness, my aerobic fitness and my ability to recover. Um, and I came back in 2013. I played three events in 2013 and uh, two big ones in the States this year. Uh, just this season just gone and I've done pretty well. Thank, thank, uh, thank God. So that's very interesting. You were the fastest guy. You had the fastest time. But you got tired and it affected your golf game. That's fascinating. Yeah, I was, I was, I was able to, I was able to move really fast for for whatever, whatever reason, and I was able to um, maintain that pace due to a due to a capacity to suffer the pain. I suppose um if you watch my if you look at my face in the um in the CBS airing it's a great source of entertainment in its own right um but i just could not i could not operate um effectively at that heart rate whatever it may have been 190 perhaps average for the 43 minutes of my first round in 2012 that's cranking <laughs> yeah Um, So one thing people talk about that's fascinating about the sport is when you're out there moving that quickly and you're completely transformed from the usual approach to golf, which is that slow, overly analytical, deliberate pace where you're doing your practice swings and you're analyzing the yardage and the wind and your club choice. Here, you're just reacting. So it actually makes a different sport. And the amazing phenomenon that people share is that they play as good or better a score than when they take all day because they're out of that over analytical state and they're just going with the flow and their intuitive sense of what the right stroke is and what the right swing is. Yeah, I had a very beautiful girlfriend once who studied sports psychology and and she always referred to the the flow state, you know, getting into the flow state, getting into the getting into the zone. And um, speed golf allows you to get into the zone. You don't stand in your own way at all, and it allows you to perform um, autonomously and subconsciously without any uh, interference from your from your um, conscious mind. And having as I played uh, professional golf, regular golf for seven years before finding speed golf, and I've no problem telling you, I was terrible. You know, and there was a lot of talk going on in my head and a lot of self-doubt. Um, having having been playing speed golf the, net, the last three years, um, I have realized I'm a better player than I thought I was. 
So, yeah, speed golf allows you to play better. And having experienced speed golf, you can improve your golf game because you've gotten into that flow state and you know it exists and you begin to believe in yourself more and more. That's very well said. Thank you. Uh, readers of The Primal Connection, Mark Sisson talked about that flow state at length with the work of uh, Dr. Chek Sentmihai, who is the, uh, the, the leader in um, popularizing that concept and describing it. And the cool thing about speed golf, for any golfer who's, who's been out there playing and understands the sport, is if you go try it for just a couple few holes, a couple few shots you'll realize you'll enter this state effortlessly because you don't have time to think all of a sudden. And what comes to the forefront is like you described, your subconscious. So it's a wonderful experience and I think a, a growth experience that applies to all kinds of things where you're needing to perform a peak performance athletic task and overthinking it as a, as a rule and as a, as a habit. Um, so, Rob, you told me something interesting in, in Band and Dunes. Now, you're a speed golfer. You're a professional speed golfer. <laughs> that means it doesn't take you that long to play around to golf. So you made the claim, which I, I'm going to say is completely legit, that you play more golf than any human on the planet right now. Is that, is that accurate? Speed golf allows you to play your nine holes in, in uh, you know, for me, I, I play in, say, between... 16 and 20 minutes in the morning for nine holes <laughs> but you can play very casually you know uh, even walking very fast in an hour so so speed golf allows you to get a lot more as tiger woods might say reps in a lot more holes in and a lot more golf experience on, under your belt and into your mind and um, therefore again that has relevance to you know regular golf players so um, I have a lot more golf played by most people my age before nine o'clock in the morning. I'm very lucky. It's very enjoyable. And, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, a lot of people say they don't have time for golf. You know, you do have time for golf. Right. That's the number one barrier to, I think, the sport growing, continuing to grow in popularity. And it's a serious matter for the game of golf. The USGA is t looking at their statistics. Um, it's not booming like it did you know, a decade ago when all the new clubs were coming out. And, you know, we in the speed golf world believe that this is sort of a, uh, a possibility to grow the sport further, to help people realize you don't need to take all day out there. And in, in your case, you can, you can get out there for 16 minutes and play half the course. So yeah, no more uh, barrier. And, and, uh, and so, somewhat relevant to that, I, I would like to mention our mutual compatriot, um, Carl Meltzer, the speed goat and um, he's he's uh, God he he's excited about some of these um, ultra golf events these guys are talking about so twelve hour twelve rounds and twelve hours and twenty four hours twenty four rounds and twenty four hours so um, these guys Carl Meltzer the, these guys might take my title of of um, playing the most golf <laughs> whether they can do it fast enough or not I'm not sure. Oh, mercy. Yeah, he's an ultra marathon runner doing all the 100-mile events and, and happens to be passionate about speed golf. So that's pretty cool to see, you know, the outer limits of, of endurance when you're talking about golf. So, Rob, you went home from that first world championship competition 2012, put up the fastest times. Everyone was marveling about that. But then you wanted to work on your fitness. You joined the running club and started training like a real runner in addition to all your golf practice. And that means that we're, um, we're at the point now where we have to hear this incredible Fanta story about your long run. 
Yeah, so I began in late 2012 training with the running club. Um, first, first, very um, first great piece of wisdom I received from a, one of the coaches, Mark Davis, was n- the number one rule uh, is don't get injured. Uh, in other words, get that get that training, get your get your miles up and accumulate the miles, but don't do don't do more miles um, than you can. You know, so I've built up the miles very gradually um, over the last, I guess, two years now. Uh, during this summer of 2014, just gone, um, my long run on a Sunday, a run where I didn't never put too much pressure on myself in terms of pace. Uh, it was building up and building up and building up, and uh, I on a long run, I have a kind of a mile. I've a, there's a four and a quarter mile loop that I've been doing up to three times, and then it came to the point where I said, I'm just going to do it four times. So I was doing it you know, a 17 mile run for a good number of Sundays in a row. And as I explained to you in Oregon, it was, it was, it was funny because when I got onto that last lap or at some point on that last lap, I wouldn't, I, d- I never took any um, sustenance, any uh, water or drinks or uh, food with me. On the last lap, you know, a picture, I could see a picture in my brain, whatever Lobo was in, I could see a picture of a, of a can of Fanta you know, a can of soda, kind of a can of fizzy orange full of sugar in my brain, you know, and it was an it was an image that refused um, to go away um, until after I finished the run um, and stumbled to the local shop and rewarded myself with uh, with the soft drink, whatever brand it ended up being full of sugar, you know. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting, and but I, I never, I, I never denied myself what my body was craving. And then I guess, I guess maybe the third or fourth Sunday of doing this seventeen-mile-long run, which I, which I really was coming to enjoy. No longer did the uh, picture of the can of Fanta that had been there, you know, at the last quarter of each run for the first few weeks, it, it was gone. And with that, um, with that, there I have noticed a um, missing craving of, of sugar and fantas and sweets and cakes um, in line with that generally, you know, which is interesting. That's found it very interesting. So for uh, the, the the endurance athletes listening will know what this what was going on when when you get these visions in your head, you're you're bonking, which means you're your blood glucose levels are dropping to the extent that your brain gets a powerful signal to consume sugar. And it happens out there on long workouts frequently if you're not um, adequately uh, fueling. And it's, you know, it's a pretty serious deal because if you don't get sugar eventually, um, you'll collapse on the side of the road and you won't be able to continue further. Um, it's, it's happened to me in races where I'm going along at, at great pace and then all of a sudden I'm sitting on the curb and wondering what happened. So you didn't take any uh, calories during these 17-mile runs, eh? No. <laughs> so no. you're out there running 17 miles with no food. The, the, the folks in America are packing, you know, 18 little gel packs around their okay. waist and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, but I, I was so fascinated about this story that I talked to Dr. Kate Shanahan, our primal advantage doctor and regular podcast Q&A uh, doctor guest. So um, we're going to paste in her commentary uh, on this issue. But for now... Um, I think that it's it's 
It's a funny, fun story, but there also could be something serious for the listener to, to ponder here. And the fact that when you push yourself to that extent and have to keep going without the calories, um, you're transitioning over to what we talk about uh, so enthusiastically in Primal Land of becoming a fat-burning and keto-burning beast. In other words, you're adapting your body to go without sugar. And the, the powerful effect that that has during an intense workout or a long-duration workout will indeed carry over into your regular appetite. And Dr. Kate said it, it's possible that the hunger hormone ghrelin was um, tweaked or modified during that extreme effort so that you rewired your appetite hormones to not be sugar preference anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what the, you know, what the doctor says um, and it's it's uh, it's a concept I had been somewhat aware of, you know, the the fat burning athlete. Um, but to get such a sensationalist personal example was uh, was kind of fun, you know. Pretty pretty powerful uh, experience. So, Dr. Kate Shanahan, I want to get your feedback on this incredible Fanta orange soda story from Rob Hogan when he was running that 17 miles without in any additional hydration or calories. And he told me this story in person in Oregon. And, and when, he, when he related it, it was with so much passion and intensity that he was so convinced that something happened in his body and his, his appetite for sugar ceased for, forevermore. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think was going on there on a, on a hormonal and uh, genetic level? Well, I think what happened to Rob was that he tapped into a kind of a primal mind-altering process that has to do with the way one of the uh, hunger hormones called ghrelin stimulates your brain and is stimulated by intense hunger and it, uh, over and how that ghrelin overlaps with uh, actually with marijuana. So uh, I think this is something that is um, a little complicated to explain those connections. So. We'll, you know, maybe uh, elaborate on that in a future podcast. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So regarding your uh, f athletic training overall and your diet, you, you're not a, um, uh, a devoted subscriber to any particular diet, but tell us about how your, um, your dietary patterns have changed and what you've noticed with your performance. Uh, ha having experienced um, the, the famous Fanta uh, situation... I don't know if this is a plug for Fanta or otherwise. I don't know. Um, I've really, I've really, uh, really an interesting um, philosophy I, I kind of subscribe to is if your body's craving something, give it, give it what it's craving. So rather than rather than saying I, I refuse to give my body this, go a further step back and say why am I craving this? You know, that's that's the that's what I would take and learn. And uh, beyond that, um, I'm becoming a really uh, a really good Irishman. I'm eating a lot of potatoes the last kind of six months. Um, I I was a I was a big pasta eater, but I I noticed every time I had a big bowl of pasta, my I felt terrible on my run the following day. I felt. I felt I would I feel lightheaded if I eat a lot of pasta because I generally eat quite a lot of food, you know, um, which seems contrary to the traditional kind of pasta parties and pasta loading um, exercise people, you know, people talk about. And uh, yeah, apart from that, just um, 
try, I try and avoid, I try and uh, avoid sugar as well, you know, which is not difficult now because I don't, I don't crave it anymore. Um, but that's 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 it. I guess that's uh, somewhat paleo. Sure. And interestingly enough, um, some of our listeners know how this movement has evolved over the past uh, seven or eight years since Primal Blueprint first came out. And when we first started getting the momentum in the primal paleo, ancestral health, low-carb dietary habits, I think the first breakthrough was people realizing that it was carbohydrates that were the main catalyst for the storage of excess body fat or the difficulty removing excess body fat. So when Primal Blueprint came out in 2008, we had the Primal Blueprint carbohydrate curve where it had various levels of daily carbohydrate intake correlating with your success or failure to maintain ideal body composition. And now in recent years, um, with all the uh, the experiments of one out there and the people reporting back their experiences with transitioning from a standard high-carbohydrate diet to a more primal paleo diet, um, the next breakthrough has been in individualizing the experience and tweaking those carbohydrate intake levels to optimize one's personal performance and recovery. And in, in someone like your case, um, you're doing a lot of endurance work and so trying to maintain an extremely low-carbohydrate, strict paleo diet or whatever you want to call it, um, your performance is likely going to suffer. So the next um, question that comes up is, how do we choose those carbohydrates that we're going to include back in our diet? And it seems like you've hit this point as an elite athlete where you're realizing there's a difference between popping a couple Fantas at the end of a run and sitting down to a nice meal of uh, you know, potatoes or things that work well for you. Yeah, it, it's, it's um, you know, the potatoes seem to be working great for me. I, all I can do is, um, all I can do is trial out these various um, sources and see where they, where they lead me to. And really, I'm just, I feel great, full energy all the time. Um, so the potatoes are the potatoes are doing it. I eat a lot of sweet potatoes and a lot of potatoes, you know, and I love them. Uh, tell us about your daily training regimen, where you're hit, fitting in the golf and also the distance running. Yeah, so I'm very lucky. I run a golf academy in uh, Craigmore Park Golf Club in County Galway in Ireland. Allows me plenty of flexibility and a lot of time to practice and train. Um. Mostly I play speed golf in the mornings. Um, it's important to note I very rarely do a flat out round in terms of effort during practice. Most of the time I'm um, operating at say uh, at say 150 beats per minute and you know in terms of heart rate. Um, I enjoy then after that spending some time in my regular golf practice. I see golf as a as an you've got to invest the time and don't put pressure on the results to come. They will come in their own time, and then I, I enjoy uh, running in the in usually in the afternoons and evenings. And again, I found great benefit in in um, a nice nice mileage of e easy paced running. Um, I know I'm no expert. Um, in, in the endurance world, but I, my uh, my idea is that the easy running allows me to recover between intense outbursts on the golf course effectively. 
I think that's. I think. I think if you're if you want to improve your speed golf, or even a different, let's say tennis or soccer or rugby or any of these sports where you're running fast and then you're stopping and recovering, I think long, slow miles are very beneficial for any of these sports. That's great, Rob, because we have been hammering this drum for so long and talking about the typical trend in the endurance athlete, serious athletes all the way to casual athletes of doing what we call chronic cardio. And that is when those workouts that you perform on a day-in, day-out basis are slightly too difficult to really be restorative and to build you. And it seems like there in Ireland, you mentioned your coach saying, hey, you know, get yourself in shape and build up your mileage, but don't get injured. And it's such a simple notion but I think we kind of forget that here in America. And we have these elite college programs where uh, a third of their team is injured every single year because they're pushing mm-hmm. themselves too hard. Um, mm-hmm. So another plug to uh, understand the benefits of low to medium intensity aerobic movement where you're not, it's not strenuous. You can carry on a conversation and build, build, build. And then when it's time to once in a while push yourself really hard, it's there. That energy reserve is there when you're performing at a high pace because of all the comfortable work that you've put in. Yeah, I think so. Having having played golf for 15 years, you know, I came to the conclusion that a lot a lot of um, advice and coaching and magazine articles you read um, almost scare you into following your own path and re- and reaching your own conclusions because it's an industry and uh, and everyone has to sell what they're you know what they're selling. Um, but being somewhat new to the running, I can I can confidently say, get out there and enjoy it and run easy if you want to. And then sometimes, as you say, if you feel good, push it. You know, because again, it's accumulation. And it's just, it's just, especially at my level, okay, it's just getting out there and building up that over time, not to be afraid that you have to do it in a certain way because that can be counterproductive, as you say. And going back to the Fanta story, I'm sure uh, that's what you're getting at. It, it, isn't it the opposite of the Fanta story? You know, this, this intensity every day might, make, you might, might, might send you the opposite way long term, you know. Uh, it absolutely does. When you're when you're crossing over that barrier of a comfortable aerobic pace into a slightly anaerobic or, or severely anaerobic heart rate level, such as what happens in a typical exercise class in the gym with the novices, what you're doing is you're sending your body a strong message to consume sugar. And it, it's, it's rewiring the brain's appetite center to be a, basically a sugar addict where all those calories you burn during your workout are more than compensated for with an increased appetite, particularly for quick energy carbs, because that's what you're depleting day in and day out with these workouts that are slightly or severely too difficult. So I'm glad we transitioned into these conversations because people can look at you as the fastest golfer in the world and go over <laughs> onto YouTube. If you've never seen this sport, um, spend a couple moments typing in speed golf or Rob Hogan speed golf on YouTube and see what he's talking about. And that's why you mentioned you very rarely go all out because going out on the course, um, an 18, 18 hole course is uh, about 5.0 miles. That's what it was at Bandon Dunes. And you're flying for the entire duration. So it really is a five mile all out race with trying to get the white ball around at the same time. 
Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about primal, if you want primal, you know, try speed golf. It's uh, you're running around. All right. Your heart rates up. Your brain activity is um, is working. And you've you got a, you got your um, your weapons. You got your golf clubs, and your uh, you know it's it's it it really engages your your brain. It gets all sorts of things firing, and you come in and you feel great. Uh, sometimes you know why, and you can explain it. Sometimes you don't know why. But for anybody who's uh, for anybody who can run or play golf, and that's at the end of the day, nearly everybody try this sport. It's a lot of fun. You know, Rob, I never thought about it that way, but that's a brilliant insight because what we're looking at now with the traditional approach to golf, where you have the carts and you have all these clubs, even for a novice player who doesn't need even half of those clubs, it's so disconnected from the nature experience of actually walking the course, carrying your own clubs, your own weapons, and actually doing an athletic event. So it is, it's the ultimate primal sport. You're out there and it's just you and the elements and you don't have your, your GPS uh, yardage meter that pops up in the golf cart and, and all those things that I believe are kind of compromising the original experience of the, the folks in Scotland that invented the sport you know, uh, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, it's interesting. And if you look at and my friend Christopher Smith, who holds a world record in speed golf, um, we've talked about it before. If you look at really old film from the 20s and 30s of guys playing golf, you know, they're moving. So really, um, speed golf is as close to golf as it was 100 years ago, as golf is now. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Rob, for spending time with us and introducing us to this amazing sport. Um, I, I think some really neat points came out. And if you're, if you're out there trying to break free from those sugar addictions, uh, just go out there and run 17 miles with no calories. And when those visions come up, keep carrying on, pushing through, and you'll be cured forever. I'm just kidding. We don't recommend you trying that at home. But um, it's a fascinating story of how important it is to honor, like you said, honor your cravings, but at the same time, um, when you get those, when you eliminate those harmful foods from your diet, you'll notice that the cravings go away. You don't have to do it the hard way like Rob. You can do it just with a, a gradual transition out of a high sugar, high grain based diet. Oh, hey, Brad. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And it was a delight to meet you in uh, Bandon Dunes this year. Um, I'd wish you luck with your speed golf, but I have a feeling you don't need it. I think you can move pretty fast yourself. Well, Rob Hogan, the fastest golfer in the world, an honored guest on the Primal Blueprint podcast. Thank you so much, listeners, and we'll see you soon. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet, Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.